Welcome to the show. My name is James Nielsen Watt, and in this show, we interview interesting, inspiring, and successful people so you can learn the secrets to success and can play the game of life, business, health, and happiness better. And the philosophy we take here is if I'm leveling up my game, you get to level up yours as well. So get ready to listen to some inspiring people who have figured out how to have success in all areas of life, health, happiness, wealth, business. We're gonna be interviewing them in this show so that you can learn the secrets to success that they share with practical advice that you can take and use today. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, please leave us a review, and please share it with your friends because if I can help you and you can help others, then we can help more people together and we can all level up our game together. My guest today is Yosef Martin. He started his first company, Merchandise Liquidators, in December 2003 with just $37. At that time, it was all about SEO. However, with his unique vision as CEO, he founded BoxyCharm, a Miami-based online subscription beauty service launched in 2013. His passion is building awareness around the industry with its amazing products. Welcome to the show, Joe. I appreciate you coming on, my friend. Thanks for having me. I'd love uh, for you to share a bit of your backstory. Tell us what you you do now and tell us your journey to to get there. So in 2020, I sold my company called BoxyCharm. I exited the company at the end of 2020. It was uh, kind of like midst of COVID and um, the company was sold for about 500 million to my competitor. It was a company that I ran for about seven years and it was a monthly beauty subscription box. Um, and uh, at this time, I stayed a bit for some consulting obligations uh, with the buyers, and now I'm completely free. I do many things. I think uh, on our purpose, I think it's kind of like a journey. How do you get to a point that you run a company that grossed roughly 500 million in sales and sold for the same price? Um, how do you build that and uh, everything else? It's a journey that you come in uh, from a place where there was no background where I worked for say McKinsey and then you become like scrappy entrepreneur starting the first company selling it building the second one and selling it as well and uh, how the hell did I build that thing and uh, it's, it's something that I keep asking myself. Did you have any companies before that maybe didn't go as well and, and kind of what got you to starting this one because that's a pretty good exit you know in, in what you said yeah. seven years or so right? Yes. So I had a company when I, so my background is this, I'm from Israel. And when I finished the military service, I came down here uh, to the United States and I went to business school. And while you're an international student, you got to have some sort of money and you're not allowed to work. So the only thing you can do is open a company and you can take a dividend. You can give yourself a salary. You can draw, but you can't. Um, that's the only way that you can actually do it because otherwise I wouldn't have the money to pay the out-of-state tuition. It was a bit, it's just, I have to go back to Israel. So I had to figure out how to make money. And my first company was around 2003, 2004. And it was, it called Merchandise Liquidators. And that's where my journey as an entrepreneur started. I was trying to figure out how am I going to make money? The what took me months and months and months. And like any other story, you meet someone that tells you that they're doing something and then you meet another person and you put one and one together and you build a business. And that business was flipping truckloads of excess inventory from department stores. Pretty simple. And the biggest question I had when someone introduced me to the concept wasn't just, okay, here are the list of all the liquidation centers for those department stores. That's who you want to call. But the first question I ask is, uh, I don't have the, how do I buy it? Like, I don't have the money to buy it. I said, you don't need to. You flip the merchandise. You get the list, you show it to someone else, he pays you, and then you take the money from them and you go and you buy it. So, great. How do I get the people to know about it? How do I get those prospects? And they told me, you got to do search engine optimization. And that's when my life changed. I understood what, sort, I mean, they told me what SEO is. And I had to figure it out, but I said, well, if you can figure it out, I'll figure it out. And, and that's it for the next, I don't know how many years I had, I was sleeping three hours on, a night at best, just trying to figure out the internet, trying to figure out how to do it, how to build a website, how to code, how to do this, how to, um, and that's it. It's a very slow start, but eventually I got to a point that the company was grossing, was um, turning into about 10 million in sales about 10 years later. 
But then I graduated, so I had time to put in a business. But the foundation that I had was how to scale, how to build a business, how to think critically, how to market yourself online. Internet marketing was a very strategic tool. And around 2012, I heard about the subscription box concept, the end of 2012. And uh, I decided it's the right time to enter this space. Um, and I got in. I wasn't the first one. Prior to that, two years, other companies are two years on me into that space, but I figured it's still not too late. I don't have to be a first mover. And uh, at the time we sold, we had more than 1 million paying members. And we trended more than all boxes combined. If you, if, if you take all the conversation in the market for all the other beauty boxes combined, we had more conversation than all of them combined. The ones that started years before us and, and all that. So it, it was a very competitive industry, but uh, at the end, they were the top three, like any other industry. The rest fall apart. I mean, Sephora and Macy's were trying to compete and they failed. So it really needed something unique. And, uh, and we ended up uh, the only company that truly had an exit in that space. What made you unique, do you think, or what, what was the, 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 the traits that meant that yours took off in ways that others didn't? I'm still asking that question because I, it's not about what I did, right? It's about how come the other ones didn't out, outbeat me because it seemed obvious for me during certain times that you should have two couple of things to shut us down so we wouldn't be able to succeed, but they never did. But uh, look, ultimately, I think it's multiple reasons. I'm a very intense person and I don't give up. That's one. So when there's a challenge, uh, when something doesn't work well, I mean, some call it a crisis, I call it a challenge, and I feel like I'm all in and it's like a video game and I just jumped into the next level and I enjoy it. And it just, I need that in my life. Right? So that's one. And then I'm really into the details when it needs to. I mean, so I was a product person. I knew what products need to be, to be in a box, how it's going to sell, who need what and when. I created a system for that. It was important for me that the products would always win. And I, if I sell you a box with makeup, my goal is to go and surprise. And it was all about that. And, uh, and in, in respect, I mean, if you were to work with, with BoxyCharm, it was very easy to understand from the day you come in, what are we all about? Very easy to understand. And not only to understand what are we doing and how, it was very easy to understand how we're going to do it. I had one goal for the company and I had four strategies to reach that goal. And anyone that came in learned those and it was easy. And then from there, you gathered all your troops and make sure that each and every one of them, at the point when there is no executive in place, they would know what to do. So all the ideas that came in, they all came in good. We just had to pick the best of the best. So it was very easy when everyone is marching towards the same direction. Like all the vectors go to one place. It's a very goal-oriented business. Um, and then aside of that, I just had great experience in marketing. I wasn't looking for an agency to market my, my stuff. I wasn't looking for someone that figured it out for me. I had to figure it all out myself. If TikTok comes, I had to learn TikTok myself. It was easy for me to pick up from there because I was always putting my mind as the engineer that write the algorithm. And I said, okay, let me look at all the videos that I'm seeing. Why are, are we seeing those and not other ones? And it was easy for me to kind of like map it up and then come up with a plan and said, look, guys, if you want to go viral, Let's try those two things. I think one of them is going to work. Oh, let's tweak it. And we would all sit down and eventually your team picks up on that. And then they come up with their own ideas that I didn't think about. But, uh, you know, you just build better teams like this. I mean, overall, it was, it was multiple things, but I would think that that would be one of those reasons. And when you're into the details and you understand your product very well, you understand your consumer very well and you're very obsessed with that, at the end, you're going to make better decisions than your competition. You're not going to make blind decisions because someone told you that. You're going to be the one making the, critical, the important decisions for the business. And, um, and when you're mostly right, people follow you no matter what. So having clear understanding of, of who your customer is means that not only when you're crafting the, the content to go viral, but you also understood that your right people would respond to those viral posts. I think a lot of people, especially listening to this, we run smaller service-based businesses and, and we want to grow an audience and we think we'll do a dance on TikTok and then I'll have followers and I'll get clients. And that's not always uh, the case. Yeah. It's not just about going viral. It'd be about, uh, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Mine would be going viral in a way that 
your clients are resonating with it, not just viral for the sake of going viral. You don't want to go viral. Yeah, that would be the stickiness, viral. right? The stickiness yeah. for your, your account is critical. So the way we would explain that is we would create content buckets and we would say, well, might be that one content bucket might be around Virality for people who love makeup. I don't want anyone to just come. I want them to love makeup. But the point for everything we're doing is the ones that already follow us, I want them to keep liking our account because I always believe that there is, and I took it from Reddit years ago. I used to, many years ago, I used to, in the past, I used to work with Reddit. And Reddit had a karma for your account. And every post had its own karma. And I said, it's not different than what we're doing in, in any other platform. You have an account and that account has a particular karma, has a particular score, reputation. And then every post can either up the reputation or, or down the reputation. So every post had to win. And it doesn't win by just having new people. It wins because old people like it. And you might not have great amount of views sometimes, but it can be specifically, you let the algorithm know exactly who are your clients? Who are your audience? And those people would like it. So you might have, say, 50,000 views, but from the makeup junkies, the one that absolutely love makeup. Otherwise, if I just throw a funny joke or a meme or something like that, I might get a million or two or three or five. But those are just random people from different countries that are not going to be my potential buyers. And that's okay. It can be part of the content buckets. But ultimately, that's supposed to speak to our members. When you have a post, when you have an Instagram account for a commercial company, you want them to be obsessed with your Instagram. They need to say, oh my God, I, I freaking love their content. It doesn't sell me anything. I'm not trying to sell anything, but it's around what they're doing, but they're just so creative. And it doesn't get easier because everyone wants to be creative today, right? But, but where it gets easy is that you say, first, you're not selling nothing on your, on your company account. If you sell something, that's where you lost. They're not trying to get to be sold at. You can go and talk about the content. You can go about everything else and then... Ask yourself, why would I want to watch that account and then go from there? It makes a ton of sense. The people are always trying to, uh, to, to somehow get ahead by gaming the system. And they think if I can just get a whole lot of views and being known as an, as an important strategy, especially if you have a mass market something, but if you're very specific in your local business in a local area, um, I like what you said about your contents designed for the person, very specifically for uh, the, the bucket, so to speak, so that when they're viewing your content, they're resonating it uh, with it as it relates to their life. I assume, for example, in the market, the, the uh, makeup space, right? You're not necessarily talking about things that are unrelated in some way to your core offerings. It'll be around makeup. And yeah. So if there, was, the if there was a particular situation in the beauty industry, that happens, that everybody knows that blah, 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 just got divorced and she had some kind of around the beauty. So you're going to go and put a funny meme around that, right? You're going to do something around that, but you want to be the first because you're going to say, well, if that is about to trend or is that trending, there's a lot of searches, but there's a supply and demand issue, right? Because if let's just say, I'm going to go and say that, let's just say Jeffree Star did something really funny and is, is a big YouTuber around beauty. And you decide, okay, he just did that. Let's go in before everybody else and, and meme that, that event because there's going to be a lot of searches around that. If there are many, many searches, you have millions of people searching for that and you're the only one or one of the few that come up with relevant content for the search, you're going to be one of the only that can be recommended by the algorithm to, to view it. So that's when you go viral. That momentum is basically you come into the supply and demand before there is traffic jam. And that was literally a chase every day. What's going to make us? And you can look at Google Trend. You can see what's trending at that particular moment. Uh, another thing we used to do was uh, kind of like tying different platforms together to create a momentum ourselves, where a community is a group of people with the same, uh, with the same interest in the same space, activating together. So what you want to think about this is less about the size of the community it's about the engagement of the community. You want to take the super evangelist and you say, let's get those people. And instead of them sporadically talking about you throughout the month, I want them to search or talk about Maxichon within that particular second. And when that happens and you have enough people, let's just say a couple hundred thousands, you spike the algorithm and you tell the algorithm, now something is trending about that company. So you, you don't want to do it across the entire month. You make sure that you say, okay, what is my space? If you look at NFTs today, NFTs is on Discord groups, right? If you look at uh, what I used to do, it was the same thing, but the groups used to be on Facebook. 
And I, use, I didn't create the groups when I noticed members creating groups. I joined those groups. I told people, hey, join their groups. I'll let you know what's going to be in the box next month. So I created that space, that environment. And when I wanted to, to, to go and search at the same time what's going to be in the box, I told them, tomorrow at 3 p.m., I'll let you know somewhere. I'm not telling you where, what's going to be in the box. So the day after, 3 p.m. Eastern time, you would have a couple hundred thousand charmers looking for boxy charm. Now, if that was sporadically throughout the month, it wouldn't even hit the algorithm enough. It would be just okay. But they're all doing it around the same time. You would look at Google Trend and you would see BoxyCharm spiking. I was literally looking at this. Oh, it's working. Here's the spike. And then we would say, okay, now it's time for us to post X, Y, Z. Because if we do it now, we're going to go viral. And anyone that talks box is going to go viral because we're trending. And that was literally building the momentum every time. You control the momentum. That makes a ton of sense. You're yeah. really, uh, uh, you're, you're gaming the algorithm. A lot of people talk about, you know, social media uh, not necessarily being good. And, uh, and I think that people misunderstand that, that these algorithms are there to show us the stuff that we're engaging with, right? Mm. Algorithms show us what we want to see. If you don't like what you're seeing on your newsfeed, it's because you're, you're engaging with too much of that content. And so to that point, you, you've taken that and you've said, well, how can I have the algorithm show more of my stuff to more people by instead of spreading out that initial engagement, you're bringing it all together to spike it so that the algorithm then starts to push it for you, not just it's, to- it's like a it's like a ball, it's like a uh, like a snowball effect where the algorithm said, All right, I'm gonna give it to anyone that follow boxy jump first, then anyone that like makeup and their lookalikes to those who likes. And every time you get more and more followers, more people come into your pool of, of followers. The, um, the thing is, you ask yourself, how do you be how do you get yourself to be cool? What makes a company cool, right? Apple, at least used to be cool, right? Still is, but Tesla, the coolest car company, right? What makes someone be cool? And then you you kind of like put it in your head, I need to be cool. And, and then it comes down to be a little bit more simple than you just got to be talked about. You need to control the narrative. You want to create a conversation. You need people to talk about you in any way, shape, and form. And in your space, you have to be the one that own the discussion. If you have a product and it's a regular product, it's going to be very, very hard to be a discussion. So you need to have experience tied into it. And then if you have a great product and a very unique experience for everybody and you tie them all together, you own the conversation. So for years, I was chasing the cool factor. And, and until the moment I sold BoxyCharm, I, I never changed. The strategy that I was referring to right now when I was sending everybody combined, it was it started in 2017 by mistake. And I kind of noticed that and said, okay, this is good. That's going to work. That's going to help me with the pull factor. And then eventually ended up selling the company in 20, at the end of 2020, doing the same exact thing. And it always worked, always worked. Every month I had to go and do it three times, three times every month. During the time when people received the products, I didn't have to do it because there was a spike regardless. But during the time when there is no discussion about BoxyCharm because it's in between deliveries, uh, in a subscription box, you send a box every month. So the majority of the people receive this on the 15th of the month. And that's where you get most of the conversation. But prior to that, in the end of the month, in the early part of the month, so the end part of the month, there's no real discussion about it because it's in between. No one's getting your boxes. So that's when I created those conversations in between. So this way, the entire time I, I have that curve, kind of like a market maker, making sure that you don't lose your popularity. It's genius. Now, this is this is an example of, of stacking skills and solving problems. This is not something that you woke up with in the morning when you very first started to get into business and think, I'm going to go and uh, do this. This is from, <laughs> from being uh, intense and consistent over time um, with never-ending pursuit of your goal, solving problems as you as you face them. What's advice that you would give to somebody who's at the stage in business where they're wanting to grow more, but they're feeling stuck because they don't know what they don't know? How would you help them to, to figure out what their next move should be or to ensure that their progress uh, is positive into the future? Like I can tell you how it worked for me. And I think take it instead of an advice, more of a case study or experience sharing because it's very hard to give a, a random advice where everyone has their own situations. But in my case, I had multiple reasons why I grew. And it actually didn't start with BoxyCharm. It started before that. I had my, my comfort zone moment where I was running 
my previous company, the liquidation business. And I ran this for about 15 years. But um, there were a couple of good years that I felt comfortable and I didn't grow. And it was years. And I was okay. And there were a couple of things that changed it. And I can't really point at what, but it just picked up. But, but definitely something that helped was always picking a competitors that not too, too, too far off, but is kind of like, is bigger than you, but is in a, in a distance that it's reachable, but not as if you said, hey, listen, I'm in a technology company. All right, my inspiration is going to be Microsoft. Yes. That's, it's far. You know, I'm doing a million dollar a year. Well, they're doing, they're doing 100 billion a year. Right? Don't, that's way too far. But if you go to someone that does 10 million, 15 million, that's your first goal to go and beat. Mentally, it's easier because it's more digestible. Subconsciously, you don't uh, idolize that company. There's a lot of, you humanize the company so that I can do it. And you just look at what they're doing. Pick up their ideas. Don't reinvent the wheel. See what they're doing. That's, that's something that I used to do. Uh, eventually, when you outshine everyone else, you just try to do better than what you did yesterday. And that's infinite. And that's, uh, but I will say that, uh, that that's one. The second part, look, you need some skill sets and ask yourself, what's the missing skill set? Sometimes you can be a great marketer, but you don't know how to really run a business. Happened to me. I was doing great search engine optimization. The phone didn't stop ringing, but I was barely selling because I needed to build a sales team. And so I just stepped out, out of my comfort zone. I, I was always visiting competitors because we're always friends, still today, by the way. And I would notice their, the way they work. And I said, okay, that's something that's pretty smart. That's a lot more efficient. Okay, if you just get out of your comfort zone, go get outside of your bubble, see what they're doing. And if, if you don't have a marketing skill set, I'll tell you better get it because you can be the great person in your product, but marketing is just not easy. And it's very hard to find good marketers to come and work for you because they're not really hireable. The great, great ones, they do their own thing because they can sell whatever you want. So you better learn it yourself. And it's not a rocket science. Like, figure it out. It's all free. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, connecting with influencers. Just do it better than the competition. Be closer to them. Just learn marketing if you don't know that. And if you do know that, but something else doesn't work, then go look at the competition. What are they doing right around that? I like what you said about comfort. I've experienced that myself. Uh, and I've heard it from various mentors and, and, and people I, I watch online and that we tend to, as entrepreneurs, we're very uncomfortable and we're hustling and, and working hard to break that discomfort. And then we get to wherever we thought comfort would be. And we tend to stagnate because... Mm -hmm even if we're not consciously aware of it, that was our subconscious point of, I need to get above that. Yeah. Above I, I love how you said the consciousness and subconscious, right? You don't get motivation from your conscious. The motivation is being distributed by your subconscious, which is a black box for us. And, and I still ask myself what happened. I think, I think I had a particular aha moment when I spoke to a competitor of mine, but was also a friend and we used to do business. And I knew that his business, his company is bigger, but he never did search engine optimization. He just had this big place in Texas and everyone knew that he sells liquidation by the pallet. And I was all over the internet. And one day I spoke to him and he said, the way I'm, I'm making my millions. And I said, you mean you're grossing millions? We're not really making millions. I was like, no, I do. And he told me, I am, da, 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 da. And then, don't wait, so you actually made how much? He said, 20 million in sales. At that time, I was doing a million, meaning I was maybe taking home 200. I said, wait, how much did you take home? He's like, well, like five. Don't get the fuck out of here. So he said, yes. And I remember I hung up the phone and I said, shit, like the guy, yeah, he's been in business 20 years longer, but, but still, what does he have on me? I mean, it's, we're buying from the same spots. We know the same people. And I have every day, hundreds of people knocking on my door globally, trying to buy my goods. And how come he sells so much? That particular moment changed. The, the year after I did 2 million, then 5 million, then 10 million, then I opened my other business and I sold it. But, but that particular phone call, and ask why was it so impactful? Why? I mean, you, you see people making money and that's when I understood, you know, when you see online people like, I don't know, Donald Trump and Bill Gates, you, you don't really think about you doing what they're doing. They're just too far off. But that's a person I deal with on a daily basis. We're doing business together. He's doing exactly what I'm doing. And that's when I finally got the motivation I needed. And I got uncomfortable in my environment. And I needed that subconscious to give me that motivation. And that phone call gave me that motivation. It's kind of like your conscious know you can, but it's basically begging for the motivation from your subconscious. 
And your subconscious is like holding it, like doesn't want you to fail. Just go for the safe zone, go for the safe zone. It's too big for you. Don't worry about it until you said, look at this one. And that's when you get it all. And then every, from that point on, I didn't need that again. It, it, I just needed to, to hear it one time. And from there on, everything changed. There's a belief pattern that got broken, right? It was, yes. a, it, was a, it was a ceiling that you didn't know existed and then it got broken and now the floodgates opened. And that's, uh, yeah, no, I, I've, I've experienced that uh, myself. And it, for me, it's trying to find that next uh, ceiling, whether it's, you know, me as a dad with my kids or a view about, you know, time or a view about travel or, or various different other aspects of my life, not just in business to try and find those and break them as quickly as possible. Because a lot of people, we get stuck behind them and they go from being a thin, you know, sheet of ice that we could easily break through to being a big, heavy thing that's difficult later because we let it freeze over too much. So now that you've, you know, you sold your company, what you said, 2020, right? 500 million. Okay. Yep. That's a big uh, chunk of change. What do you do now? I watch TV. I mean, I watched everything on Netflix and, uh, and no, I'm just kidding. I, I have, um, I had that moment though, that uh, after I stopped consulting and I got out of it, um, understanding my life, I, I, my wife and I broke up, uh, we're in great relationship, but I, there are many things that happen at the same time. And it's important for you to, to embrace it. Okay. 18 years of being an entrepreneur running an organization, big, small, doesn't matter at the end, very, very big, but at first very, very small, right? Then there was COVID. Then there was a separation, all that stuff. What happened is at the end, when I sold the business, they reopened the country. And um, so I didn't have to manage anybody. They opened the country and I became single. And I got a house over here. That's what you see in the background. I, I basically, that's, it took me a, from the moment I actually cashed out to actually getting to that point in my life, that's when I had my hammer. And the first thing I said to myself, I don't want to jump into a new business right away. I need to chill. I've done this for way too long. And I felt like there was that um, constant underlying pressure when you run a company that you don't know you have because it's like a video game that you enjoy. But now you can relax. So I think for like a month, I was literally watching everything on Netflix because they don't produce new shows, the whole COVID thing. So it was like, I watched everything. Then I got tired. Then it's okay, now I got to do something. And... Um, I started, I mean, it was all at once going, what, I mean, I was going out with friends, doing everything that I couldn't do. It's just living a dream. Going to Mykonos, going here, going there. Just, you want to live the whole life. And then you need to start building something again. So now what I told myself, don't, don't, don't get into a business yet. Build projects, not a company. So I'm doing a bunch of little projects because I don't have the obligation to wake up and manage people again. I want to relax with that. I'm definitely going to get back into it, but not right away. So we're doing projects and that's, and then I have to manage my money. I have to figure out investing in, in all that stuff. One more thing you did say, talking about tools, right? One thing I didn't have is um, financial tools. I, I never really had time to sit down and put my head into managing my cash, understand uh, the stock market. I, I figured, okay, this is my time to do it because once I go into something new, I'm all in and my mind is not going to be in it. So that's, that's where I got into. I got into that. And uh, the only thing I can say I manage more now and I, I do a little bit more now and it's, I invested in a private company that with them now I feel like it's very fun being involved, uh, completely different than makeup. Now we're selling um, weapon parts to the U.S. Army uh, the Department of Defense, because I mean, that's the time, right? I mean, with the whole Russians and everything else, the budgets in every country increased. And I figured that's a good company to invest in. And I can probably help them because I have a lot of friends in places. So, and that's fun. That's one thing I do. So yes, from makeup to military stuff, that's little things that I do. But again, I don't manage the people myself. It's, it's a very unique company where it, they just move products for them without having employees, similar to War Dogs. Um, and that's, that's the fun part that I do. Subscription gun service. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you do with 500 million? Does it sit in your, sit in your bank? Not all mine. I didn't get the whole money. I mean, first of all, the government takes some, there was uh, trust funds to the kids. There was partners, there was wife. It was, I get a lot, but not everything that it's not all mine. But with that huge amount of money, whatever it ended up being, a lot of us can't even imagine you get transferred a large sum of money. What do you do? Because at that point, 
you can't just have it sit in the bank because it's going to... No, no, no. You uh, ma- Managing that, I understand your question. Yes. So managing this... Um, you know, the you diversify it, right? You definitely don't want to keep it all in cash. Uh, but I will say that they, I don't want to be a financial advisor on this show, but I will say that it's important to get a good, uh, trusted uh, financial advisor if you don't have experience managing money. And uh, the goal is to stay uh, good, not to lose it. Uh, you don't want to go, I don't want to be aggressive. I mean, I got, I got myself diversified a bunch of stuff. It's it's I do it all. I mean, from I'll do options trading in a in a smart way, and I I'll do I'll do regular investing. I have uh, money in private in in private companies. I have I have some in in uh, equities and uh, in securities and all that. But majority of this is is just not is a very very safe vehicles real estate. A lot of those and and um, so it's a safe vehicles. My thing was. I, I don't really need much. I don't really care. I have a nice house, but then that I, I want because I live here. But I, I really believe in experiences more than anything else, and um, I don't want to go back to start start zero. I, I, I came from a, not a lot of money, so it's I don't want to get back into it. So it's important for me to manage this wisely. Uh, that, that's what it is. I mean, it's it's fun. It's it's also good when you have consistent income coming from that because once you do receive it, you don't want to touch the principal, at least not me. So it was important for me to create passive income right away. So I can say, okay, this is what I'm living on. I don't want to touch the other stuff. I'll buy one or two things and then the rest, that's it. So, um, and that's, that's what I did. I could imagine that it would be a strange feeling, if not bordering on scary, to go from all I've done is entrepreneurship and running businesses and I know that I'm good at it and I know I can make money and grow to, okay, so you're telling me that I, I'm not running a company anymore and I just have some money? Like, Yeah. How do, do you park do? it, right? How do, I, How do you park it? Yeah. It's, it's a dilemma and I, I have, you know, so I have two friends that did an exit right alongside mine. One of them was with me in the same CEO groups who were six of us. And he exited for 700 million. And then another friend of mine exited for a billion. And we all started early just as, as like little schmucks talking to each other. Hey, I have this idea. It was like, like that. And it was, it was funny how each and every one of us in his own way um, built this company and sold. And I remember that all of us had one conclusion that once you get it, you get a little bit paranoid because you're afraid of losing it. There's that part of you that you never had so much to go and protect. It goes away quick. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's, it's good. Do it. Don't be scared. But you have that first fear. The second thing is you ask yourself, okay, how do you safely park your money and create passive income? Because you don't want to go and blow it away. No matter how much you got, you can blow. I mean, you can spend chunks of it and, and it just, it doesn't look nice when you have less in the bank. You want to see it growing. And listen, don't forget, like in the last two years, the real inflation is, is, it's not 8% a year. We're going to look at homes, luxury, anything luxury from, from watches to cars to, to homes, at least here in Miami. They went up three times. Maybe not the cars and the watches, but they went up way more than 8% a year. Homes, forget about it. So when you get it, you said, you know, it's nice, but technically a dollar today was in the 80s, maybe 17 cents. Right? So, so it doesn't get to your head. And you said, you know what? It's nice what we got, but let's make sure that it builds us from here on. We're not driving it down. Do you think you'll ever get into big business again? Or do you think that you'll try and sort of work above the business than necessarily in, in the hustle and grind to, to run, manage and grow it? You know, if if you go above the business, it's more of investing, right? And when you when you get a fund or, or something that's more financial instrument that you build, let's just say a mortgage company and all that stuff. I can't tell you I'm not going to do it, but, uh, and, and it's something you definitely think about. You said, well, Boxycharm is cool. Every girl that's into makeup knows the company. It's nice. But I could have done, say, a mortgage company and could have been a billion dollar and no one's going to know about it, right? So I feel like the experience of building something is very, very important for me. I, I like building stuff. When it was liquidation, I loved it. And when it was the box, I loved it. Um, 
I don't see myself looking at cohort data and allocation, money allocation. It seems fairly boring. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not for me. I like building stuff. So I do see myself doing another thing. Um, maybe not today, but I am going to build something. new. Because it, it takes a skill set to, to quote unquote, do nothing. Like we, we've got a skill set to build businesses, but then, like you said, you watch Netflix for a month and then said, shit, I've got to do something. Because yeah. most people, we, we're never going to get to that point of necessarily having that. But I can imagine that it would be a, a very weird experience and figuring out, you know, doing things that aren't business. Because when I, you know, I've got, uh, I had a practice and then uh, I've got my consulting company and, and things like that. And at each point there's been a, I'm, I'm growing and trying to then eliminate how much it needs me so that I can spend time on other things, but there's been a progression to spending time on other things that grow. And then, you know, the next thing and the next thing, but it's in us. That's why we get success. That's why you're successful because it's, it, it's in you. And, and I, and I feel that when you say, you know, you like building things, you know, the, there was the point that you said that you, you try to focus on building your company. So you, you wouldn't have to be there because if let's just say you have one or two different inst- instrumental sk- skill sets for your business, that no one else have, and you're trying to make sure that the business does it by himself, and you want to look at the business. And I was, I was literally a challenge that I had. Um, I had partners, and I had, uh, I had people under me, and it was, it was what everyone is expected of you as a CEO. Think big business, and everything else. And there were a couple of things I couldn't let go because I figured if I do let go, that's the entire business, and I can't let go because then I don't really manage my business. And it was the product and the marketing. And the marketing, I figure when I get a great marketer that does it better than me, perfect, you take it. I will obviously follow up through experience and knowing what you're doing, but I'm not going to have to sit down. But I couldn't find a person that does that. But then when it comes down to product, I was able to find a person. That's when I was able to step down. Like, okay, she knows it. She got it. I already built the system. She came. She, she got it. But the point for me was that at the end, I was plugged into those two parts instead of doing what was expected, which was, no, you got to think bigger as a business, but there was no real thorough explanation of what exactly you have to do if you don't do those things. So I said, how about I don't do that? How about my COO, which was amazing, will do all that or most of that? Because if I'm still tuned to the trend, I understand the consumer, I can understand the market. That's when I can really think big because I understand. And then every time I execute something, it freaking works. Whenever I pull myself out, it's very hard to go back into it. And I, I checked with my friends and I have friends that are in the same position. They're pretty much running with multiple hats, larger companies than my company. And they're still doing what they know that they're the only one that can do it. But as soon as they go out, vacation, two, two weeks, they come back. Business is still doing good, but it's hard for them to catch up with everything. But when they do, they see all those inefficiencies or all the off formula processes. And they said, ah, I had to fix all those stuff. And then comes the question, if a tree falls in the forest and you weren't in the forest, does it matter? <laughs> what do you do? You say, well, you know, if, if you're still on the forest, then the forest has to stay intact, right? But if, if you sold the forest, maybe not. But it's, it's a question that you keep asking yourself, right? But the point is you don't have to really step out of the day-to-day in every aspect in the business, in my opinion. Sometimes if you feel you ha- you're the only one that can manage it, freaking stay. Don't let people push you into doing what you don't feel in your gut feeling that that you need to do. For sure. You don't want to leave and for lack of a better term, productivity drops, but you also don't want to be your own bottleneck because you can't get yes. out of your own way because you feel you must do it. Yes. Yeah. If you're, if, if you are doing it when you're a bottleneck, then you're doing something when you get, yeah, let, in my case, I let everyone manage everything that I don't have to manage. And I had teams after everything, but, but I, I, I there was no bottleneck in my case, but, um, but there was a concern that's going to be a bottleneck and I figure when it's going to be, then we'll figure it out. But right now it's not. But, you know, ultimately it's like, what does a CEO have to do? What does, does a CEO really have to always look at everyone combined? No. If you have someone else that does that, if you go in and you connect everybody together, just you do once a week, a stand-up meeting. We were very uh, lean business and we were a small group of about 120 people, including engineers running a massive business. And we were, you know... We were not your typical business. We had one meeting where we had uh, VPs and above meeting uh, each other, VPs all the way to me. And we had that one hour once a week. That's it. That was one follow-up meeting. Everything else, most of the meetings were tactical. 
meetings within the organizations. And every time I would bring in some, and not to say nothing about Harvard, because I actually hired some great people from Harvard, but usually it came out Harvard types that went to McKinsey right after Harvard, went to P&G, went to corporate world. They would come in and suddenly half of the people I wanted to talk to are not available because there were meetings and they'll pull people from every department into meetings and meetings and meetings and they made the business very inefficient. People couldn't work. And they, so I had to cut it off. And I said, that's it. You're not. And, and eventually people go back and they work. They do the job. So, and then you find yourself, you know, yes, I'm managing two parts in a business and it's a big business, but I have most of the day free. I still have all day to go and do whatever I want. And it's like, yeah, the, the processes that people expect to be done in a big business are not like they think. It doesn't have to be this way unless you were the one creating your own walls in the business and you're creating your own unnecessary bureaucratical meetings. So what we said before with, with beliefs and, and yeah. subconscious, if you believe a business is a certain way because, like you said, with Harvard types being taught, that's how it is, you, you, you operate from a, a blueprint that doesn't actually fit the, the functioning of the business. You create unnecessary burdens that slow it all down. Why do we need to have meetings that slow the thing down? What you don't know that you don't know is your biggest risk, isn't it, right? It's the thing that you is getting in your way that you, you didn't know that it was and you keep banging yeah. your head against a glass wall because you can't see it. Um, I think that's something that, that we all need to think about. Um, it's like, think about what you're thinking about. Uh, a lot of time with, with my clients, it's they're trying to solve uh, a problem that that doesn't exist if you just zoomed out a little bit more, or they're chasing an idea that isn't going to solve a problem that would get them to where they want to go. They're trying to clean their shoes while running in the jungle mm-hmm. to escape a lion. It's like, or a tiger or whatever. It's like, well, clean shoes isn't going to help you, buddy. You know? Yeah. It's, it's solving the, the wrong problems is, is a disease for many companies. It happens from lack of understanding of your own product slash service slash market. If you do understand that, you, you're much more likely to uh, ask the right questions, to find the right problems that can turn into the right opportunities. The, um, the, the question I keep telling myself is that when, when, you, when you have a particular pro, pro, person that was programmed in a particular place, that this is how to get things done, right? They come in and they have their map and they're not really always open up to any ideas, but yet they do have experience that's needed. How do you take that and break it and you make them efficient for your business? And it's, it, the beginning is very important when they come down and you, you kind of explain to them that you say, well, look, the, um, the process is, is in, we have respect for the process, but there is no, we stop the process when we don't see results. So if we have an idea and we want to execute on something, many times we're not going to go to fruition. It's going to stop. If we find a middle that actually it's not going to work because X, Y, Z. And I would always give the Motorola story to everybody. I told them it will happen here many, many times. Do not come crying when you see that because we don't care. We were not going to start a process all the way through knowing farewell that it, it doesn't matter. It's not going to work again, but we already started because the mental investment into the process. We, we prioritize the results. And I would give the example from Motorola where in the 80s and 90s, there was an engineer in Motorola that found out that the satellite phones that they had at the time had a slight delay. And he said, if we throw about 15 new satellites into orbit, but on a different orbit, different height, we're using a different frequencies, we're going to eliminate that quarter of a second delay when someone speaks. That time, satellite phones were these things because there were no antennas out here. So it took 10 years. They knew it's going to take 10 years plus $10 billion. So they started we started with that. Ten years later, within the first six months, they needed 60 subscribers in order for them to actually break even. They had 3,000. And the reason they had 3,000, because 10 years later, everyone had regular cell phones because there are antennas everywhere. Now, guess who's building most of those antennas? Motorola is actually building all those antennas. They knew farewell, and they were also selling satellite phones, and they saw that the demand in satellite phones decreased. And you ask yourself, this is not a government. This is a private organization. How come they didn't stop on the third year, on the fourth year, why did it go all the way through? Most of the money was dis- deployed by, by the time they, they, they launched the satellites. They had all those years to stop. Why? And you understand that a company that's invested in a process is doomed. A company that's invested in results is going to win. 
And that's where I would give that example. And I said, it's going to happen to us multiple times. And by the end of the day, the ones that win are the ones that make less mistakes or they fail very faster than the competition. I like that. I, I, I see that a lot in, in not just in business, but in, in, in people being too invested in the thing instead of the outcome. And so they're, they're trying to solve to make this work instead of just pivoting mm-hmm. uh, to get the result you want. An easiest example is I've got a, a son who's three years old and a son who's, who's one year old. And um, thank you. And, uh, and, I, and I see them do that with toys. They, 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 they can only see this path because they're invested in the, in the process that they're going through to, to solve that problem. And they're trying to stick the square thing into the round hole because they invested in doing that. I can come along and go, well, we're just trying to get it into the, I'm making this up, into the bucket. Let's just do this instead. Let's move it around here or let's switch it out or whatever. But because they have the tunnel vision, because they're three years old and one year old, they're stuck to the process. But how often do we do that as adults? You might laugh at that and think, oh, that's silly. But we just don't know or see because we haven't asked the right questions. We haven't you know, thought what we're thinking about. And we're stuck in the process. Um, I like. We that. create a booze. We create a booze for ourselves. The do's and don't do's. And I think Kanye West gave a good example, and he was saying, when you're a kid, you say, uh, "Don't climb on this thing; you're gonna fail." And and they, they put a wall over it. And by the time you grow, you have a bunch of walls around you because don't do this, don't do that. And that's why, look, a guy like me doesn't really knew. I didn't know anything about makeup, right? But I go into beauty industry, and. And if you look at my competition, they're all guys, technically, they're all a bunch of guys. Uh, we all won in the beauty industry. Why? Because we didn't have any of the taboos that the beauty industry had. I went into the beauty industry, um, which was in New York City. The Mecca was New York City. I mean, we had some in some fun and, and, and uh, in LA, a good, good amount, but majority was really heavily sitting in New York City, all the Estee Lauder brands and L'Oreal and all that. Now I had to come from Miami don't know anything, coming with a beard, some dude shows up in those conferences with all the CEOs of L'Oreal and Maybelline and all those. And I noticed that they have a a platform that everyone does the same thing. And when I was trying to hire a person within that industry so they can make us introduction for major brands, it was so hard for me because I would bring in people from New York that were known, that respected in the space, that could make a phone call to the companies that we wanted to come and join us, but they said, no, I want to be creative directors. And I remember that one of them was telling me that she was a L'Oreal, ex-L'Oreal executives. And she said, well, I'm looking at your website. I don't see any soul on the website. I need the website to look better. And tell me in seven words, what are you here to change? Who are you? And why should they want you? So I told her, wait, seven words? She's like, yes. I said, okay. Never thought about this. So how about you help me out? Tell me the same thing in seven words about L'Oreal. You were in L'Oreal, right? Managing their marketing. I said, well, L'Oreal is a big company. I said, well, so how are you coming up to me? with? What are you talking about? Why do I need to come up with something that you couldn't come up with yourself? Let me ask you this. You're like, okay, what? who is you for you? What's your DNA? I don't know. I just want good-ass products that people know so I can put in my box. That's all I want. Can you help me? No, we need to, first of all, ask what are you here to change in the world? We need to know exactly. This is what all of them were thinking. They wouldn't go to what's absolutely important and urgent in the beginning. So I told her, wait, so if I, look, if I'm going to get a nice product from a known brand, like if someone ran in my box, I'm going to sell the box. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't go like this. The consumer wants to know that you're for the environment. Said, so listen, I, I just want the right products. It was impossible. And every person over there that I spoke to um, until the end, finally, I found some good people that were able to hear me out. I was like, just give me the right products and I'm good. People don't care about the look of the website. And if I'm here to send the penguins, they just want good products. Trust me, all that comes after. They couldn't comprehend that there is some other ways to think about because it wasn't theirs. They were already mold. And they and I noticed that the urgent and important are two categories. Something can be important to whatever extent, I don't know, but they're absolutely not urgent. But if you start with those products that are not urgent, you miss out those momentums, those momentums that get you to move. I wanted a, a, 
If you're into beauty, you'll hear the name holographic highlighter. You would know that that was in 2017. If I get a holographic highlighter in 2017 before everybody else gets it, then everyone's going to buy my box just for that. Okay. If I'm losing that momentum, I'm just one step before. All those little things make all the difference. Momentum is a key. And you have always momentum when you're on the business. It's not just when you start your company. Everyone thinks that you need to start at the right time. It's not wrong. But once you started, you have so many momentums within that you got to grab. And you have to just make better decisions. And you have to move faster. If you fell because of that, that's still okay in some cases. As long as you are catching all those waves, you're going to move faster without putting so much of your own energy into it. That you're going to get carried away faster. So... So it was, it was like every time trying to catch up the momentum and it was, it was working and it wasn't coming easy because when you're already mold into something and you build all those walls around you, you forget where you come from. Then comes the disruptor from the outside that doesn't have any of those walls and they crush you like which a cockroach. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, yeah. which is you, like you said, you, you know, these, these big brands couldn't do it and, and you weren't sure why I think you kind of. Uh, in, a, in a roundabout way throughout the episode, I think we've, we've answered that question, right? Yeah. Um, so we've talked about a lot of a lot of different things, and 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 there's been uh, some patterns there. I'd love to to hear from you just in, in in thirty seconds or so. What do you think the most important thing is that you ever learned? Oh man, um, marketing. I was able to create awareness better, faster, and cheaper than the competition, and then from there on, I had to figure it all out. But marketing was the key. Without good marketing, nobody knows you exist. Yeah. It's like back then it was location, location, location. Today, it's marketing, marketing, marketing. It's as if I'm giving you a, a corner store in the heart of the busiest place to sell ice cream. You go with ice cream, doesn't work, doesn't matter. Whatever you sell, you're going to do good because you're in the right fucking spot. Can you be on the right spot on the internet? Can you do that for yourself? Figure out the product later. It's going to be lots of zigzags. I can promise you that. And if you have it in you, good. If it's not, it doesn't matter what, what advice I'll give you. But marketing is the first tool you need in order to be able to be successful independently. I love that. That's great advice. It's a good for the season that I'm in at the moment as we, as we look to scale up, as we're, we're, we're looking at what we're doing and thinking where's the, the biggest momentum opportunity. And, and you're right, marketing. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Where can our audience uh, follow you online and, and check out what you may be working on in the future? Sure. My personal Instagram or TikTok is YFLMartin. Y as yogurt, F like Frank, L as Larry, Martin as Martin Luther King. Beautiful. Thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate you uh, for coming on. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, James. Thank you for checking out this episode. If you liked it, please make sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you're a healthcare professional who wants to get serious about business, check out practiceowner.com where we have a whole lot of resources on helping you to grow more impactful and more financially viable practices. So that's practiceowner.com. Go and check that out if you're a health professional serious about business and don't forget to subscribe.